So, Steve. Yes. You know what's really nice? What is really nice? Feels like there's no one else here. Feels like no one else is here. Just the nice silence? Yes, the nice silence of not not anyone sleeping. Just us alone here in the apartment. Just us alone. Yes. This is Control Structure, episode 93, for August 29th, 2015. Big week to everyone listening. To to read about all the goodies we're talking about, please visit thenexus.tv slash cs93 to look at the show notes. With me today is my host, Stephen Orvis. Hi, Andrew. Hi. And as spoilered by him, I am Andrew Bailey, your other host. So, yeah, somehow we uh, shook Chris off. Uh, yes, he sent us away to go do the podcast thing. Yeah, and apparently he went home to, like, read Esther or something. Yes, he did say he was going to go power read so that he could get ahead of you. Yes, but, you know, given the fact that he's working overtime uh, at his little Panera job, uh, I don't think that is much of a threat you know, yeah. since, since like, pretty much tomorrow, since it's going to be, like, 86, that means I'm probably going to stay inside where it's nice and cool, uh, and, like, just sit on my couch, flip open my laptop, and just start reading Job or something. There you go. Hence your, uh, choice of dress for a second. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, uh, let's see. Then what else? Oh yeah, so he's apparently going to a bachelor party tomorrow, and he's like still going to be up there on Sunday, so uh, like that might impact his uh, reading schedule in the near future. There you go. So you have two days to get ahead of. Yes. So um, let's see. This week was mildly adventurous at work. Step back a little bit. If you uh, remember, we recently. Uh, put Chalk Talk Sports into production. Yes, I do remember that. So, uh, like, you know, they're, you know, sort of like being the, I want to say nasty clients, just the impatient kind. The kind that always want things to be done yesterday. Uh, and when you, like, go ahead and do that and then bring it up uh, in, like, two days, they're like, what's that? Meaning that they forget what they had asked for. Yeah, and they said it was so urgent to get it in there. Ha. So, uh, yeah, fortunately nothing, like, significant has broken. Um, let's see. There was, there have been a few checkout bugs in that if you uh, put in a, like, a bad credit card in, uh, number or, like, other information. Yes. That... It would redirect you to, like, some ugly page, and you couldn't uh, check out again if you entered your correct information in again. I could see that one being urgent. Mm, well, it didn't really stop people from, you know, like, completing. Okay. Uh, at least on the big scale of things. Um, so, like, I tracked that bug down in that, uh, like, we're using a customized checkout than what normally comes with the system. It's, like, all on one page. Okay. Instead of, like, a separate page for your shipping info, another for your billing info, and so forth. So it just keeps loading on the same page, all the different stuff? Yeah. 
it's like an accordion thing. Yeah. Which, I mean, sort of defeats the purpose, but whatever. Um, in that you essentially have to redirect them back to that page with a little error message. So I finally got them re- get it going back to that page, but it would, you know, it would fail when you entered in the bad stuff. But then when you entered in the good stuff, it would still fail. The thing about that was it was not letting go of the old order because, like, the order object was created and then the billing stuff failed. So then the order was marked as failed. And once you have a failed order, you can't really do anything with it. You can't even mark it as failed again. Because it is failed. <laughs> so, uh, like, it would not, like, recreate that order. It wouldn't let it go. Okay. So, yeah, that was uh, a little fun there. But, uh, yeah. It's been uh, pretty interesting. So, and uh, since you know we're, we this podcast is on a fortnightly schedule, uh, the week before I had an epic quest involving getting a new phone. Uh, so that Sunday I went on Amazon and bought a Moto E, uh, like the 4G LTE version that would supposedly maybe work on Verizon. So Wednesday it comes, and I'm like, great, let's, you know, start using this. So I go off to the Verizon store, uh, only to find out that on my parents' family share plan, I'm not, like, an authorized, like, holder or something. Like, I can't actually make changes to this account, like, take myself off of it. Wait, you aren't allowed to take yourself off of an account? Yes, because technically it's my parents' account. But do you still pay a bill, or do you no. pay through? Oh, you pay through your parents. Okay. So, uh, like, got the authorization, whatnot. But there was a problem in that since it was like nine o'clock, there was no one at the store that could do like a same day disconnect or something. So that would allow me to keep my number. Yes. So uh, I'm like, okay, uh, next time I can be back here is Friday afternoon. So I get back there and spend an additional two hours on top of, like, the hour and a half from the other day. Uh, But, you know, finally get the phone. Uh, But if you rewind a little bit, that Wednesday, uh, like, one of the guys there said that the one from Amazon would technically work if I already had a Verizon activated SIM card, which I did not. So I needed to uh, return that back to Amazon. Uh, Fortunately, they had, like, the same phone but Verizon branded, so you could, you know, do activate the SIM card. Yeah. So that's what I have here. So it's a, I believe it's a second generation Moto E. And, uh, yeah, I got it for 75 bucks. Very nice. So, so, so have you tried out any uh, specific apps yet, or are you still kind of just getting comfortable with it? I've, uh, well, still kind of getting comfortable with it. You know, up till now, I've mostly been you know, doing what I've done on my other phone, which is, you know, texting people and something that like smartphones aren't really used for called, you know, like actually, you know, using it to call someone. Wait, what? You can use this to call in the phone? Yes. There's like a really neat interface on this phone that you can use your vocal cords to like breathe air into this phone and have that be reproduced on another phone. Wow. Yes. It's like really cool. And I'm really surprised that no one, that this feature hasn't took off yet. That does seem like that would be useful. So on a random uh, side note thing, 
Uh, have you seen Google's new inbox, uh, that companion to Gmail that probably is replacing Gmail long term? I have not. I, I actually had it, an invite offer on my Gmail to get it. And uh, so anyways, it was more of a phone thing. And it's very much focused on tasks and doing things and such. Uh, but anyways, I think I do have invites. I can send you an invite if you would wish to give it a try. Mm-hmm. It's like a separate app you download it's, on the it's, phone. It, like some of the icons and organization look fairly similar to what's uh, on my phone. But uh, uh, let's see. Then occasionally I've been playing a game called Fallout Shelter, uh, which uh, was, uh, I wouldn't say introduced, but rather shown off at the uh, Bethesda E3 conference uh, like two months ago. Uh, and it's finally been ported over to Android as of like two weeks ago. Um, so, and, you know, that's a decent time waster. So, but yeah. What have you been up to? Well, uh, at work, uh, we just finished up the sprint again. Surprise. Like every podcast is always in the sprint. It was Pretty good sprint. We got our stuff done, and our new we got a, an official scrum master. So that's kind of interesting. Uh, so far, it seems like he, he he knows stuff about scrum, so it seems good. Is uh, he not involved with the project? Uh, he he was hired specifically to be a scrum master. It sounds like he has Java development experience from just a comment I heard of, from him the other or today actually rather. So it sounds like he does know some about development. Uh, but he is, his dedicated job is to be Scrum Master, so he's not actually in, in the project from that perspective. So, it seems like this is not breaking that Scrum rule anyways. Yeah, that, that seems to be the golden, uh, you know, I wouldn't want to say golden, but a really nice feature. (laughs) It's, it'll be interesting to kind of see how that plays out, uh, uh, that previously when we were doing Scrum, it was good, but uh, there's always ways to do better. One of the interesting things he did was he scheduled the, the retrospective. He did half an hour for just the developers and uh, the product owner, and then he had other ones come in for the second half hour. And so that was that was kind of nice because sometimes, you know, managers have their opinions about things and such, but whereas like the people doing this work has okay. different opinions. So okay, that was good. I gotta interrupt you there sure. because it is currently nine forty two, which is always the time shown on iPhones. Like in all their oh, press seriously? On all their press images, it's always nine forty two almost. Nine forty two. I've never heard that before. Let me Google that. So iPhone nine forty two. Yeah. It's true it'll come up. Why time stands still at 9.42? Yes. So the idea is that at the press conferences, when all of these are introduced, it always happens at about 9.42 in the morning. And so they always take a picture and it's... Uh, like all their, all their screens, like pretty much all their screenshots have 9.42 on them. That That is really interesting. So yeah, put that in the show docs. Yes, let's put in the show docs. So this would be in the banter section. Yes. Right, under that bullet point you already made. So, hey, speaking about that, we should probably get on with the show. Yes. Uh, so, you know, in the process of, you know, dealing with business people and trying to design a website, they also often use some nebulous and vague phrasing uh, that, you know, might be a little bit puzzling. But, you know, this is a general rule 
of you know what clients mean like actual uh examples of what they actually mean and what to do uh first one is make it look more luxurious which pretty much means uh Let's see, no, that was not garbage collection. Didn't stop and back up. Uh, and it wasn't that big either. Uh, so make it more luxurious means get a wide and thin font, put it all in caps with like a bunch of spacing between between the letters. Um, a few others here. The logo looks just like a font. That means just add shapes in there. Like they... So, so logo looks like a font. I was trying to understand the, the request. So they're just asking for oh, a logo with font with uh, that's a font. But you know, you it just it just, it just looks kinda... it just looks like a capital le- letter E. You know, okay. like make it look more interesting. I see. Uh, make it look like Apple means like this particular font next to an iPad, which you know could pull it off. Uh, I, I really like the needs to be sleeker is pretty much take the luxurious thing that we just talked about. Yes. And make it on like a dark but sort of shiny background, like a gradient. Uh-huh. <laughs> Gradients look nice on things. I, I, I've seen that before, that the gradients just make things look nice. Yeah. Not a very noticeable gradient, mm-hmm. but just a slight gradient. Exactly. Just a very, very touch of it. Even like the one time we talked about the article about images and how you can overlay text, how you just do like that really, really uh, like tiny bit of dark gradient to yeah. image. Not even you can see it, but when you put your white text on it, it shines because it's got the gradient on it. Yeah. So, yeah, that's that's something I might keep in handy uh, for work. So, uh, we've mentioned uh, Borderlands on this podcast before, and it's pretty much my favorite game series that has come along in the past maybe 10 years or so uh so apparently like you know most video game series it's you know at some point there are rumors about a movie being in production and apparently it's happened to borderlands now um of course you know like there's apparently this is like still in pre-production it looks like but it makes me wonder whether or not this is going to be cartoonish. Well, given the fact that the whole game is cartoonish, I guess that would make sense. Yeah, but, you know, who knows? It's It has a very distinctive visual style to it, and, like, whenever someone says, you know, like, cartoony graphics, well, Borderlands pretty much fits the mold as, as exact as you can because there's black outlines on everything. Raspberry? 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 Raspberry! So, it turns out uh, Raspberry Pi will keep the doctor away, at least in the case of, uh, of this person. Uh, this lady was uh, diabetic, and so it goes through that uh, her her name is... Uh, is it Dana? Dana. Dana. Dana Lewis. Uh, she's a diabetic, and at the time she'd been dating uh, Scott Leabrand. I'm not sure if his last name is right. Anyways... Uh, 
they had noticed that he had noticed that she was wearing this wrist wristwatch thing that turned out to be a pump for insulin, and uh, it seems that diabetic people have problems. Some of them with uh, their insulin, like when they sleep at night, that sometimes they drop way too low, and uh, of course they're getting like too much sugar or whatever, and it mess them up, and it could potentially kill them. And so there's alarms that, like that she would wear on on her that would uh, like go off and. Sometimes it works, but sometimes you sleep through those alarms, and I guess it's you know very dangerous because mm-hmm. you could die. And so I guess he was a software developer, and he was thinking of ways to improve upon this. And so they were going through different uh, ways, and the first thing they did is they figured out how to get the data from her monitor off on the computer, but that was a retroactive thing that like would happen afterwards. And then they found a way to, uh, the help of another developer, they found a way to take that data in real time and offload it onto the computer. So then their first step, they took that data and had a laptop running on her nightstand and uh, it would then be able to sound an alarm on the computer and also to be pushing the data up to the internet. So that would mean that Scott could be getting notifications and know that she was sleeping through having needing the uh, insulin so he could go drive 20 minutes and wake her up if uh, she didn't wake up on her own. So that was a little bit of a safety net for them. But then uh, kind of the next step was, well, you know, is there patterns in the data? Is there ways that they can uh, predict when she would need insulin and stuff? So they actually took the data and they plugged it into a, uh, it sounds like machine learning, uh, and made an algorithm out of it, kind of like you know, the patterns. You know, like she needs insulin now and she puts in how much she's going to put in. Uh, or that she's like, okay, I'm gonna eat, and I'm about ready to eat in so many hours or whatever, and like, oh, I don't need insulin right now. She put in the the data like that into it, and uh, using the machine learning, it's tracking and figuring out when she needs insulin and how much she needs. So as they go on, uh, she starts using uh, it to predict actually how much insulin she needs to give herself, and uh, it would give her a number, and then she's been a diabetic for since she was, I think, in her teens when she was a child. Mm. And so she knows the dosages pretty well, but she'd use it kind of to help her estimate because there's, like, some math involved. So she'd let it estimate, and then she'd kind of just double-check it. But she got to the point where she trusted it pretty well, and it was uh, doing a very good job for her. Uh, So then uh, they kind of took the next step, and they figured out that you could take a Raspberry Pi and be using the Pi as an intermediate linkage between their uh, data analysis and uh, the, they found a heart, not heart monitor, a, uh, a insulin pump that has a security vulnerability in it, where you can actually remotely control it to a uh, pump. And so connecting that with a Pi with the monitor, uh, they came up with a, a system that actually uses the algorithm uh, of her when she needs insulin, and it's actually able to pump uh, insulin into her when she needs it and they showed graphs in there of how her sugar spikes was and how uh, you know how fewer alarms would go off in the nights since they've had this pump uh, automatically working for her and I guess it's significantly lower and it's pretty much doing a very good job for her and it's managing her uh, uh, insulin like it, it should be uh, in a way way better than she could because it's working all the time so it's kind of interesting seeing like a real project like this is just the guy saw a problem and uh, realized uh, technology can make it work. It's not like a big pharmaceutical company. And, and he even has a project. It's up on GitHub. So the code's out there. And it's not that he's distributing it like as a medical device because that's like licensing-wise. 
but uh, you know, if other people with diabetes uh, wanted to do this project, that's something that they could actually go and do for themselves. And obviously, a pie and things aren't that much. I imagine your heart monitor, heart monitor would be your expensive part of not heart. The in, insulin monitor would be right. like your expensive part of it all. But yeah, so artificial pancreas made of raspberry pie, pretty neat. Cool. So, uh, pretty much everyone uses TCP all the time, and even when they don't notice it, they're pretty much using it. Um, so the guy behind that named Vint Cerf, he was uh, recently on the Quoracast uh, episode uh, and goes over some very important questions about you know the underlying architecture of the internet, its future, and how that involves cats. Cats? Yes. Okay. Um, well, that's sort of like a side note because the interviewer uh, like his cat like jumped up on his shoulder or something, but yeah, it, uh, it was a very informative uh, episode, like maybe twenty minutes long. Uh, so if you're into you know like how the internet actually works, you know on a you know sort of base protocol level, it's it'll it's worth it to check it out. So Riot Games, uh, maker of LOL, uh, that's League of Legends. Uh, recently made an article that shows how they compress animation data. And uh, a lot of it is centered around how, uh, like, when, uh, like, an animation has, like, a starting point and an ending point, and uh, they've pretty much figured out how to compress 128 bits of, like, some coordinate down to 48 bits. And that's... Uh, like, they pretty much, you know, figure out, you know, what's the largest component of, like, this XYZW uh, uh, quadruple vector something array. Um, and then scale the other three up uh, or down, as it may be. Uh, and then chop off uh, some of the bits on those uh, down to 15 each so they can fit within 48 bits. Um and uh, they can do this, uh, apparently, without any kind of noticeable uh, degradation in animation, even though you're uh, essentially losing quite a bit of precision with that. Um, so then they also uh, do some adjustments with the uh, curves, like the quadratic curves, the Bezier curves and stuff, uh, to you know, essentially show how, you know, to further... Uh, how should I say, reduce the amount of information that is needed. Um, you know, this is pretty important because, uh, like, this game is a free game. Uh, you know, it doesn't cost anything, and uh, I'm not sure because of that or just because of the content of the game itself that it's so good that they have a huge following. Um, so, like, making sure to cut down on bandwidth uh, cost is pretty uh, is a attractive thing for them, and also you know like it would use less space on disk and in RAM, so it will run on lower spec machines. That's something that everyone's going to appreciate the less space. Yeah, so they also do a few other tricks, which you know is documented further in this post. Uh, I found that the one on loss mitigation was interesting. It talked about how the 
the characters, their feet, some would seem to slide like if they go too far. And it was interesting because I've seen that before. I don't know where I've seen that, but some video game, I've seen that, that the feet like sliding before I recognized it. So it was interesting but, to see. But the character is just supposedly standing still. Exactly. And so it's kind of interesting seeing that and where that came from. So let's uh, move on to something a little bit more serious, uh, like uh, IBM uh, Z-series Z machines. Uh, so like th- these are essentially the modern equivalent of mainframes. Uh, in fact, like a lot of them run software that used to run on mainframes. Uh, so these are, you know, systems that, you know, banks and stuff have that, you know, process a whole bunch of really important data. Uh, so IBM recently announced a partnership with Canonical, which uh, are the people behind Ubuntu. And they're going to bring Linux to these huge Z-series uh, mainframes. Um, so from the sound of it, it looks like uh, like even like the underlying uh, host operating system that runs on these uh, will be Ubuntu at some point. Uh, because right now it runs like some sort of proprietary uh, IBM system, and it's essentially like a virtualization powerhouse. So like there's like upwards of like ten thousand virtual machines running on these things. I was I was just thinking about the I had recognized hypervisor in there, and that was just reminded me of college and uh, my teacher talking about hypervisors and such in the operating systems class. Yeah, uh, the way that uh, like IBM does virtualization is quite a bit different from, you know, how you would virtualize on like any kind of consumer level product. So, and I remember taking a uh, like an IBM systems class back at uh, college. Uh, unfortunately, I didn't really get too far into it because about three or four weeks into the course, uh, my instructor just up and left, like immediately it was like pretty sudden like one day you know we we're having class next day uh like someone else was in there saying yeah he's gone and like some questions were raised but uh from what i could gather from his linkedin profile sometime later looks like he got hired at some company in egypt of course this was back in 2008 before they had that revolution uh i'm not sure how long he stayed there but uh yeah I uh, in this class I remember uh, having to use uh, an IBM I think it was a 5250 terminal emulator to log into some mainframe and send a message I think and uh, like I got a T-shirt from that which I don't think I've ever worn uh, but yeah it's you know contrary to popular opinion yes mainframes still do exist and they still run. So, something that, uh, you know, definitely will not happen to your mainframe is getting it confiscated as you cross the uh, borders of the United States. I believe it was back in May that uh, some Korean guy uh, was, you know, flying back to Korea. The Department of Justice suspected that he was going to be selling uh, some classified, maybe not classified, but really important uh, I think it was like military plans or schematics uh, to Iran. And, you know, in, you know, because of this, 
the uh, Customs and Border Protection confiscated his laptop, and I believe it was actually encrypted. So they actually uh, uh, transported that down to San Diego uh, to, you know, rummage through it and, you know, see what, you know, was on there. Uh, this guy was allowed to go back to Korea, but it, uh, but the Department of Justice realized that, you know, you can't just take someone's laptop at the border. You know, even though there, there was slight suspicion, but there wasn't like exactly, uh, you know, astounding, uh, you know, how should I say, evidence beforehand that this was happening. Because yeah. really they're using the border as an excuse to take it. Uh, they'd been watching him, but obviously didn't have evidence to get permission from a court to take it. Yeah, so this bodes really well for me because I will be crossing the United States border uh, pretty soon within about three weeks because I am going off to Germany. So this will be the penultimate podcast before that happens. Penultimate meaning the last one before that one? The one before the last, yes. yes. So it's it's one of my favorite words. So, okay. So Uber, you know, the people who, you know, run the, uh, how should I say, like the ride for hire service, sort of like a taxi, but like for web 2.0 and social networking version of that. Uh, so Uber has hired the guys who hacked the Uconnect on Chrysler uh, cars, if you remember from last episode, that, uh, like, you could essentially take over this car by looking for it on, like, the Sprint network or something? Yes. Yeah, that was uh, seemed to be a pretty serious security risk. So it's interesting that these guys are uh, getting then into the Uber and uh, with the cars. They obviously have a talent with cars. Now, it mentioned the article something about Uber having their own security risks or something. Yeah, so, you know, essentially because they run a sort of service in the cloud that, you know, having that, having security really matters. Yes. So, you know, this is one of those times where, yeah, they, you know, some guys found a security vulnerability, they disclosed it reasonably, and they got hired, although not hired by the people whose product was bad, but, you know. They, they showed their skill on a national level. Definitely. So, uh, you know, way back in the day, like 1980s, uh, computers really didn't have that much RAM. And, you know, having such a constraint, you know, there was also no dedicated video memory in order to draw colorful graphics on the screen. Uh, but there's now a YouTube video that sort of, sort of goes into uh, one way of doing things which is essentially, you know, like having a one-bit screen, but for, like, each little section of screen, having the on and off bits represent a different color. It was a very good explanation of how, how the graphics worked. Like, he laid them out, like, with the grids and, and everything and uh, showed example pictures from some games and things. It was a very good uh, video, and he says he's going to have a part two of it, so... Uh, looking forward to him releasing that. Yeah, and I'm pretty sure this guy is kind of overwhelmed because this is the only video on his channel that has more than, like, 200,000 views on it. <laughs> it's currently at 1.6 million. 
So go ahead and check that out. Check that out if you haven't already. So I believe I asked you this before, but when I say that Unity is coming to Linux, what do you think? Well, the the first thought that I had was we already have Unity, and then my second thought was, uh, okay, gotta stop you there. What do you mean by we already have Unity? Like we, Unity, meaning the Unity interface that replaced was yeah that replaced GNOME on Ubuntu. On Ubuntu, okay, that was my first thought, and then my second thought was a confusion with another gaming engine that is not called Unity that we already had. Yes, I believe we were talking about CryEngine a little while back. But uh, so Unity 3D, I think it's called, is that game engine that, uh, you know, although it has supported Linux already in the fact that you could, you know, export your project as a Linux binary, uh, now you can actually run the editor on Linux so you can, like, develop just using Linux only. Whereas before you had to use uh, Windows or Mac in order to, you know, create like all your models and like all your, all the scripts and stuff in order to, you know, export the project. So that makes it pretty awesome for like a developer. If you're specifically targeting Linux, then you can be like testing out, uh, you know, how it's working and uh, on your host machine instead of having to be switching back and forth. Definitely. So... We mentioned some big changes coming to Firefox in the last episode. Uh, one of pretty much the biggest thing is the uh, extension sh- extension signing requirement. So you essentially got to submit everything to addons.mozilla.org. There are a few other things that are happening. Uh, one is the uh, transition to multi-process uh, a multi-process architecture like one tab per process, something that Chrome and Internet Explorer even have had for, like, what, seven years or so? Uh, So that should be out later this year, pretty much by early next year, hopefully. Uh, Another thing that's happening is, you know, that will break quite a bit of things, so they're introducing a new API with which to write your extensions against, and that's called Web Extensions. So that essentially is the same thing that's used by Chrome. So this uh, sounds like this will bring maybe some cross-compatibility across extensions uh, or across browsers for certain extensions. Yes. So at the same time, they're, they are deprecating their existing APIs for add-ons. I believe it's XPCOM and XUL. So if they're deprecating it, are they saying that you can't use this anymore? They're saying we'd prefer you don't use this because it won't work. Uh, we aren't adding new features to it. Uh, I think more of the latter. Like, I suppose that you could probably write them, um, but the compatibility with, you know, multi-process is not guaranteed at that point. Okay, so, so that's true. As new features come on, the browser is likely to break things. So, and I'm not sure if they're going to be uh, extending the web extensions API or not. Yeah, probably would help since they already have quite a bit of experience with uh, building extensions so and quite a bit of a community behind them. Uh, so with this, you know, some people are concerned about the loss of functionality uh, with moving to this new API, like down them all. And they're pretty much concerned that, uh, you know, 
like very important extensions like NoScript will be severely severely limited in what they can do uh, through this new API. Uh, and at the bottom here, it says it's safe to say that Firefox will not be Firefox anymore as far as extensions go, but instead will become yet another Chrome clone. So, we have a very, very negative view of that. Yes. So, uh, meanwhile, uh, there is, you know, doom and gloom on the Firefox extensions ecosystem. Uh, meanwhile, cloud storage is crashing down. Uh, so, uh, I'm not sure, several months ago... I mentioned Disk 42, uh, which was a prospective uh, cloud storage uh, software that you know essentially encrypted everything on the client side before it would upload it. Uh, unfortunately, that is shutting down pretty soon, uh, as of the 15th of September. So that's pretty soon. Uh, fortunately, I never really had anything important in this. Uh, and I'm pretty sure what I did have in there was backed up somewhere else. That's so, good then. So I think I might have put some uh, old the Nexus.tv episodes in there. So uh, also Wuala, which is a cloud storage company provider thing of Lacey. You know those external drives. Uh, I don't know specifically okay. which ones, but... Okay, well, I believe I have a Lacey drive around here that's actually, like, 10 years old. Uh, but uh, Walla is shutting down. So they have a, you know, pretty much a timetable for this. Uh, as of the 30th of September, uh, it'll just be read-only, so you can't be able to upload anything. And November 15th, uh, everything shuts down and is deleted at that point. That's interesting that you have uh, two closing down so close together. So I'm not sure if if this is sustainable for smaller companies or not. Definitely a good idea to, you know, have your own sort of private cloud. Uh, appreciate uh, FUBAR2000 a little bit. So uh, if you remember, I have this thing called a Pono player. Yes, I remember the, the triangle, oddly shaped one that was supposed to be engineered to be very good uh, sound quality. Yes, this is uh, the player from uh, was it Neil Young. Uh, this is actually uh, the kickstarted uh, edition. But, uh, and mine is black because black looks a lot better than like mustard yellow, <laughs> which is the other color it came in. Um, so it was about two weeks ago that I noticed that suddenly there were holes in my playlists. You know, like, you know, like there is supposed to be a little bit more music here, but it's skipping like all the way down. So I was wondering if it was just a, you know, like a glitch in system where it wasn't reading the playlist properly, or maybe like there was like some corruption with the, uh, like the files themselves. Uh, so I'm like, okay, I need to like sort of redo all of this. So I deleted everything off of here and, you know, transferred it back on. And, uh, you know, like I already have playlists for these as mentioned, but, uh, like I want to do it efficiently since, 
like not all songs on an album are in the playlist. So like why transfer over data that's like not on the playlist and yes. I won't listen to. Uh, so fortunately, uh, Fubar 2000 has a uh, among its many facilities and features uh, has a, a move feature or like a copy feature. So I was able to use this to copy, you know, essentially like from my root music directory on my hard drive to the root music directory on the Pono player. So like thereby capturing, you know, if I select everything on the playlist and say copy to here, it'll just copy those. So that worked pretty well. And I might be able to fit a little bit more music on here than I did before. So... And, uh, uh, you know, among the other features that I use this for uh, is, uh, uh, how should I say, was it album art? Uh, especially with the album art on the Nexus.tv podcast that I produce, uh, the ones that you're listening to right now. So you're using it to tag the art onto the audio file? Yes. Um, let's see. Then I also use it to, uh, you know, con- convert between uh, formats, too. Uh, sometimes, you know, depending on which formats, you know, if I want to convert from FLAC to Vorbis, I will use FUBAR 2000 for that. Um, you know, most, mostly because it's like very multi-threaded and it uses external encoders. So, you know, essentially I can say, well, I don't want to use the one that it ships with. I want to use this other one that's newer and sounds better and is more efficient. So I have something to, I'm not sure if it's appreciate or deprecate uh, just yet, but uh, the other day at work uh, for this new project we're working on, uh, we, a couple of us developers, got Visual Studio 2015. Nice. So that was uh, kind of interesting to look at it. I did start kind of trying to use it the other day, and I'm like sitting there working on an XSLT, and I press escape, and I press like J and a few other keys. And like it's typing them out onto the screen. I'm like, what's the matter? And uh, I was typing in VI commands, and <laughs> turns out my VI extension wasn't in- installed. So I'm like, ah, okay. So I ins- go to install it, and I search, and I didn't see it. So that's kind of my de- deep uh, deprecate for uh, so far. I haven't searched it recently. There may be a new new version of VI plugin for it, hopefully out soonish. Because uh, I really miss VI, and I'm probably not going to use 2015 unless I have to without VI. But uh, it looks like, on the plus side, it does look like they have a lot of uh, really neat features in 2015. Uh, one thing I was seeing uh, was like the whole package with TFS. Like in TFS, there's like a chat thing that they have for like the developers. It's uh, the yeah the online part of it. There's like a, a group chat for developers. Records like the chat history, and you can get notifications like if a build happens or something on the. TFS server, and then their testing engine was kind of interesting too. I guess they're doing some things that's kind of like a type of fuzz testing, it seemed to be what it is, and they're like, analyze your code and look for paths that aren't tested, and they try to plug in, they try to plug in data into your code to try and test those paths, just to try and catch exceptions that might be thrown. So for instance, maybe you have a null check, and they might find a way to uh, actually give your program parameters that would cause that null missing null check to happen and so it could alert you to that. So that was kind of an interesting feature. So you're using that 
dot question mark operator. It does have the dot question mark operator, which is pretty neat uh, syntax wise. So you can do your your dot question mark, and uh, if it's evaluates to null, it actually won't continue with that statement, and it'll just move on. And so it's not doing anything new. It's just saving you saying if does not equal null and uh, do this. So that could be handy for chaining together a bunch of different things together. I've seen examples online. It has some kind of neat examples. Even chaining that together with like a, uh, I like uh, with the I forget the term for it. The question mark question mark. I uh, that that's also another one uh, that it seemed to be. I saw an example that chained it together. It was just making things shorter. And I think that's something you're going to have to use it to kind of wrap your mind around all the places that would be handy. But it seemed like it would be handy in uh, a couple of different places there. That that was that was definitely a, a neat feature that I looked forward to before. Another one uh, that I stood out to me that I noticed, uh, they're doing for properties now. They make it a whole lot easier not to have a backing field, which sometimes is pretty stupid to have a backing field if I want to set a default value to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so now you can write on the property itself, you can assign a default value without having to set it in the constructor or without having to set it like on a field, a backing field. Uh, so that was pretty neat. And you can also uh, define functions uh, on a line without curly braces. So you can say, like, if you're just making a function or something, you can say, like, function name with the name of your function, and then you can use the the rocket ship symbol, <laughs> and you can give it your function and semicolon and uh, deal one-liner deal. Uh, again, it's more of a syntax thing, not really a feature feature, but I think that has uh, interesting uh, syntax sugar to it that could be kind of neat. So kind of looking forward to seeing you use that in the project. Uh Seems like it has a lot of other neat features that kind of, as you get using it, uh, you learn a lot more. So uh, it looked interesting. So just out of curiosity, which version of Visual Studio are you using? Uh, you're saying like right now at work? Uh, the 2015 one. Uh, guessing probably Enterprise, maybe? I would guess it probably the Enterprise one. Uh, like, again, I haven't poked around too much since I uh, tried to use VI the other day. I turned it off. Uh, I'll probably have to look for a plugin again sometime, but I, I think it would be the enterprise version. So, and for some reason, I totally forgot to mention this in the, uh, um, like along with all the other headlines, but uh, remember Let's Encrypt. It's that one free certificate authority that, you know, aims to be, you know, just a certificate authority for everyone else, like on the web. Uh so I found a presentation from I think it was back in December that you know pretty much goes over you know their goal and a few of the things that they're doing. It's pretty much out of date, but I like this uh, presentation in particular because for the first ten to fifteen minutes, this guy gives a pretty accurate non-technical explanation as to why you need to encrypt the web. So and he. Uh, you know, you mentioned, and I kind of liked also the comparison with the library. Yes, yes, that was. So, he was saying how, like at a library, all of the books are publicly publicly available for you to, anyone to check out and to read, and so that's like the internet. It's so uh, like that's information. Yeah, that's that's like a blog or something. Yes, exactly like a blog. But then on the flip side of that, a it's kind of realist, well established. The librarian doesn't make public 
information about who checked out what book that's not considered public information. And so in the same example, why should a, a blogger uh, tell everybody uh, everybody who is reading the blog or everyone that's everyone that's watching the network watching the network yes about who is reading the blog so uh, i thought that was a pretty good fair uh comparison about that because people would consider that but you don't think about that of someone watching you because it's just not a visible thing whereas if someone rooted through the library records it might be more visible so yeah someone even mildly technical could understand this uh maybe even someone like my mom hi mom so uh we actually have some podcast feedback this time, uh, this time from Ian Buck. Uh, he says, in response to Lenovo, I remember my Sony VIO laptop had a system restore feature that would allow you to reinstall Windows without needing a disk. Back before that came built in on Windows, it seemed like magic. Uh, so, yeah, it probably used like some sort of hidden partition on your hard drive, uh, because I remember the ThinkPad that my school gave me uh, had recovery partitions that I didn't find until more than a year later. Uh, I didn't need them since the default and generally only response to any laptop problem was re-image. So I f- found those out, and because uh, I was running with the Linux guys at the time, uh, can someone say Linux partition? <laughs> so I pretty much cleared those out and put, uh, I believe it was Zubuntu on there, since it was like sort of a compact but still rather featureful uh, distro. Still use that, by the way. Uh, Ian says, I've become quite used to the hamburger menu. I like it more than a cog or wrench icon because those strongly imply that it contains only settings. The hamburger menu just means that it is a list of menu items. And I agree that it is more suitable than a gear, a cog, wrench, or whatever. Uh, if only because it's a little more vague. I, I do definitely agree, too, because uh, the vagueness, it just means things I can click on or touch. Yeah. Uh, Ian says, yeah, the second Shield tablet is the replacement. They sent the new one, and soon I will be getting a return kit. They claimed that the old one would be remotely deactivated, A, as soon as I started up the new one, but that doesn't seem to be the case. Maybe I'll just give the old one to my sisters or something. And uh, from a post that he recently uh, put up, uh, I believe it was last week, uh, the return kit has come. Uh, and from the looks of it, uh, you know, Ian made note of the rather extensive padding and packaging that came with it. Uh, you know, mostly because they want to make sure that the fire hazards don't suffer any shipping damage. But if you think about it from the carrier's perspective, it makes sense because there's potentially millions of these things coming through your system and you don't want anything bad happening. Does make sense. So uh, don't forget that today is International Backup Awareness Day, so back up all your stuff. And if you'd like to submit feedback or give us any comments, uh, please do so on the nexus.tv uh, slash CS93. So you can click that link there and make sure it gets to us. So, uh, yeah, meanwhile, uh, tomorrow is going to be one of those off Saturdays. Uh, so, or maybe the Saturday that this will be released. <laughs> so, um, let's see. Then next episode, I still should be here uh, before I go and fly away to Germany for a little while. 
and uh, there probably won't be an episode after that for about a month. So, uh, let's see. And, uh, yeah, meanwhile, I'm still getting settled on my Moto E. Um, so, yeah, it's pretty interesting now that, you know, I've had a flip phone for, like, seven years. Did I show you the uh, one thing that I was doing? Like, uh, how you, it was swinging open? You didn't show me the one thing that it was doing. So, yeah... At that point, I was just showing people that, yeah, I'm an old man, but when my phone does this, even my phone is telling me get a new phone. So, and what was it doing? Oh, I'll I'll even show you. Okay. Apparently, I still have the thing. We'll be back soon. And we're back. When it does this, oh, I see. And like, there's like, there's like no spring on it at all. I see. That's definitely well used. (laughs) So, yeah, what happened? About seven years happened. Yes. <laughs> or eight years or whatever. I, I'd say that's a good good amount of time, though, for a phone, like, overall, for, considering how many times you've probably opened that. Yeah. Probably a lot of times. Yeah. Um, more than twice a day, probably. That'd uh, be quite a day. It's, it's from a time when cell phones were getting smaller, not bigger. <laughs> so... Well, uh, have anything else to add? Uh, I don't. I guess I'm pretty much going back home tonight, and uh, so uh, tomorrow's supposed to be a nice sunny day out. So I don't know what I'll do. I'll probably do something outside. Oh, I bought winter tires just the other day, and I studs on them and everything. So I want to uh, see if I can get rims off of my uh, older Escape that no longer functions anymore, and uh, maybe get the new ones on so that they're ready to go when we're allowed to put studs on cars again. Uh, being that I wrecked my last escape on ice against an electric pole made me think that maybe studs and nice winter tires actually maybe are worth the money. Yep. Um, that would, that's reasonable. Yes. So probably cost you a pretty penny to do that though. I got it off of slick deals. Uh, like they had a rebate. There's like a $250 rebates on it. So it, I mean, it was still expensive, but it didn't seem too bad, but Tires are still going to be expensive. Yeah, like I just bought tires about two months ago. Yeah, they are expensive, but, you know, they last a lot longer than an oil change. They do last longer than an oil change, which is kind of (laughs) nice. So, uh, with that, I guess uh, we'll, we'll be concluding this, so have a good one. You too.